Space isn't the final frontier, he said. The human mind is. We're being colonized, you know. And if they're colonizing people's minds, what are they doing with those who resist? How are any of us able to tell the colonizers and their collaborators from the resistance? Is there even a resistance? How many of us even know this is happening? What do they want from me? Sweat was dripping from Forrest's brow. The poor kid was standing there clutching his gut with a shaking hand. Not exactly the DTs, but as close to it as any 16-year-old kid coming off an alcohol addiction can get. But hey, it could be worse. It could be oxy. This is rural America, after all. The territory that nobody wants to admit was lost to the opium war for a new millennium years ago. I'd left him sleeping, thinking he'd be okay for a minute while I sneaked down to the kitchen for another late-night snack. I didn't want to say as much, but I'm not entirely convinced what he was experiencing was due to either delirium or fever dream. Think about it. Just because we'd managed to block any electronic signal from coming in care of the opposition doesn't necessarily mean it's keeping out signals coming in by other means. I mean, have you ever seen anyone get a grant to study brainwave transmissions sent by an elder god sleeping at the bottom of Humboldt Bay? I rest my case. It'll be a while before Forrest is ready for therapy, an essential step in any substance abuse recovery. But first things first. He has to get through withdrawals. We've been taking turns being on with him, ensuring he's never alone as he goes through them. And as I listen to the rapid-fire thoughts erupting out of him, exploding at random intervals, I'm reminded how careful those of us on the psychic spectrum need to be about substances that can make us more easily manipulated by the opposition. We're not independent agents, you know, he said as I handed him a cup of the detox tea Abuela Paladin had come up with, consisting of Valerian root, mint, oat straw, and lemongrass. We're caught up in a system that's forcing us to serve it. It may not have created us, but it sure as hell has perfected locating and using us. The only thing is, I was thinking to myself, none of us knows exactly who it is that's using us. Is it the old one and his army? Or the opposition? Both have reasons for investing in seeing us in a position within that system that gives them an advantage, he replied, as though I'd actually said it out loud. 
and dedicating considerable attention to programming us for it. Getting used to Forrest doing that was turning out to be harder than it's been with Marina, largely because of how rapid-fire and random his clairvoyance has been as he detoxes. The kid is all over the place. It's both dizzying and disquieting. And according to his rapid-fire emoting, I can't help but think he's right. It isn't our parents or caregivers who program us, so much as it's this system. And here's the kicker. It's left entirely up to us to determine who they are. Cthulhu and his legions? Or the opposition? Perhaps that's also part of what sure seems like a trial we're being put through, knowing just exactly who or what we're aligning ourselves with. But then another random thought erupts from the recovering young alcoholic, and my heart breaks. If our minds become colonized by someone or something else, are we even still ourselves? Who are any of us without our mental sovereignty? As he spoke, a small tear formed at the inside corner of his eye, as if some ancient heartache called it just before sinking the eight ball of hopelessness into the left corner pocket of eternal struggle. Who exactly wins the game then? he asked. I just didn't have the heart to answer, and was just beginning to think it was time to try getting Forrest back into bed when a sound grabbed my attention. Correction. It grabbed both our attention. At first we thought it was coming from outside. But the sound grew more faint when we stepped out onto the back porch. Following it into the hallway, we discovered Wallace and Simone standing outside the study, catapulted from being sound asleep to being wide-eyed in bewilderment. The whistling was coming up from the heat registers in the floor. One or more of us was going to have to go down in the basement to see if they could locate the source. I don't need to go down there to know the source, Forrest said, his voice shaking as bad as his hands. It's the tune Emery always whistled in the morning as he puttered around the house before the rest of us were up and around. Something told me it was going to be a long night. Leave it to the resident psychic finder to grab her cell phone and head for the basement. Wallace needed to stay in the study with Forrest since he was in no condition to go ghost hunting, which left it up to me to shadow Simone.
But just like when Forrest and I stepped out onto the porch, the sound faded as we climbed down the stairs. So we followed it back up to the hallway, where it seemed to be leading us upstairs. And once upstairs, it led us down the hall to the room directly across from mine, a room that has sat empty since I arrived. And because it was meant to be the nursery for the children Betty and Emery were never able to bring into this world, it has always sat empty. As I reached for the doorknob, the door swung open on its own. Although your guess is as good as mine as to how the doorknob managed to turn by itself. What at first looked like Emery from behind stood with its face inches from the wall across from the unused crib. As our eyes adjusted to the dark, it became clear it wasn't Emery, but it was whistling Emery's tune. Simone was holding up the cell phone recording as it stopped whistling and turned to face us. It was the character from the dream Marina had about running from the man dressed like an extra in a black-and-white TV western, complete with duster and wide-brimmed hat. Absolutely nothing about him was human. It wasn't a ghost, either. It was something else. The moment that occurred to me, the door slammed shut and locked by itself. We were trapped in the room with what I thought until just that moment was something that only existed in dreams. A grin crawled across the thing's face like it had a life of its own, cutting into its leathered skin and drawing blood that dripped from its teeth and the corners of its mouth. The entire lower half of its face was consumed by the grin that wasn't a grin. It was a black, swirling sea of rage. I knew instantly what it was trying to do. It was trying to terrify us. Grabbing Simone's hand, I squeezed it and shouted at her to remember a time when she was both happy and bitter both at once. That's easy, she said. It was the day the caseworker drove me up to this house. I knew I was finally coming to a safe place, a place I could call home. But I was also bitter about losing my family. That's good, I said. It's so good, it's awful. I'm so conflicted, the only thing I can do is numb myself with indifference. But not caring gives me ennui about a time when I cared so much. I felt lighter than air with the possibilities that caring opened up for me. And that's just plain contemptible. I ought to write a letter. People who care don't deserve to feel anything but shame mixed with a healthy dose of grief. 
<laughs> Simone truly is a gifted psychic finder. She found the point of my exercise in mixed emotions. <laughs> she picked up the gauntlet and began to laugh, and laughed so hard she began to cry. And through her tears, she sang a song so patriotic she felt pride. But it was a pride mixed with a sad longing for something, anything to feel proud of. From under his duster, the creature pulled out a long-barreled six-shooter that was so dark, just looking at it hurt a place inside me I didn't even know existed. Its arm was shaking as it struggled to lift it, as though lifting the weight of the world. It was trying to aim the thing at us. What exactly was it hoping to accomplish? It's not like you can shoot down emotional complexity. <laughs> we both laughed and pointed at it contemptuously. It was obvious we had weakened it by hitting it with so many mixed emotions. It was overcome with embarrassment. Rather than let itself die of embarrassment, it dropped the gun soundlessly and made a feeble attempt at tipping its hat before spending the last ounce of energy it had turning to the wall and scuttling crab-like up to the ceiling and across to the window. A giant crab wearing a hat and the grin it had carved from the face of the Cheshire Cat. It disappeared out the closed window as if the glass was nothing but air, leaving only traces of rage behind. And Simone and I are too damn smart to give that shit a home in our hearts. The whistling had stopped, but I was certain the battle had not. The door opened with a simple twist of the knob, and we bolted for the stairs. Neither of us was curious to see what happens next. Once Simone caught her breath, she asked me if I was going to fill her in on what that was all about. I get the thing about emotions, she said. But how did you know emotional complexity is its kryptonite? I promised I would answer all her questions, but I needed to brief the paladins on what just went down, and to warn them. That thing isn't dead. That's obvious. What isn't obvious is whether it was ever alive in the first place, and who had control of it. It would stand to reason the creature is not the product of the opposition's capacity to imagineer fear through chaos, Abuela said, viewing the video of our encounter with the creature that Simone had captured on her cell phone. Her reason was simple. Marina had dreamed it while on board the Abuela Express, and the opposition's electronic fingers can't reach inside the mind of someone protected by a Faraday cage. So the next question was why we were being reintroduced to it now. 
I couldn't help but wonder if it was to alert us to the dangers posed by writing, saying, or doing anything that might show our hand to the opposition, which of course led me to updating them on my investigation of Simone's new Invisible Friends. Following her online activity, as well as reading the journal she was storing on her computer, it was clear she was eating out of someone's hand. The three of us had no question about whose hand that was. The opposition. The dead giveaway was the constant ego-stroking and confirmation bias it was giving her. She had been making a note of getting goosebumps when she gets a hit her word for putting together two or more things they've led her to think she's masterfully connected due to her superior intellect. Those notes continued right up until we secured the study to block electromagnetic frequencies. Her latest notes lament that it feels like her connections are drying up since she hasn't gotten the goosebumps in a while. Can goosebumps be induced remotely, I wondered. Marina just gave me a look that said, Are you being deliberately obtuse? Just tonight after Simone was asleep, I found a tweet she'd bookmarked that led to an article from one of those pseudoscience sites of dubious origin that questions whether Faraday screening causes brain cancer. The corresponding note she made about it in her journal indicates she's worried about the headaches she's been getting. Note to self. Get Simone a neti pot for her sinuses. Then have a long talk with her about not leaving a trail of breadcrumbs for whoever is leaving one for her. Because that's what we concluded in the Paladin Brief. We need to make sure we don't give the opposition the advantage by letting them know what we're up to. As much as possible, we need to insulate ourselves. Maybe even confuse the hell out of them with so much emotional complexity, they just can't keep up. It meant I would have to come clean to Simone about my invading her privacy. The privacy she never actually had judging from all the banner ads in the margins of her email, online inner child workshops, kundalini awakening seminars, programs that promise to help you awaken to the repressed witch in you, methods for blocking energy that any adult empath knows you gotta let in if there's any hope of learning how to transmute it. And of course, the perfunctory, shallow, two-dimensional memes about positivity suitable for framing and lining the walls of your sad, broken home were all parading themselves up and down the margins, just begging for the poor girl to click on them. It was obvious the opposition had come up with a game plan for seducing the magical thinkers in the New Age movement and it was just as infuriating as what they were doing with the conspiracy theorists. The common denominator was the combination of ego-stroking 
and the simplicity of polarization. And right there in the middle of all that magical thinking was an ad for a natural remedy guaranteed to help prevent brain cancer caused by Faraday screening. It didn't take a clairsentient to figure out that even without remote neural monitoring, the opposition could work its evil voodoo on the unsuspecting via the Internet. They were using it to encourage magical thinking in those least likely to effectively manage their suspension of disbelief to the point that their egos are easily hooked. It was like shooting fish in a barrel, just like with the conspiracy theorists. Ego heavily invested in thinking Jews, blacks, or women are inferior? Here's a hook for you. How about thinking you're someone special because you've self-identified as an empath? Or maybe you think those orbs you're seeing are evidence of angels. Oh yeah, there's a hook for that. So now that the paladins have been briefed, where do we go from here? We come up with a game plan, and a brief for it that's uncommonly complex, emotionally and otherwise. And it involves keeping Simone on the Internet, even though it was tempting to pull the plug. Because the more we lead the opposition to think they still have Simone hooked, the easier we can flip the script and hook them by leaving a trail of breadcrumbs of our own. A complex trail paved with conflicting emotions. I was not looking forward to breaking it to Simone that I'd been reading her journal for weeks. But at least I'd be telling her Unlike the opposition, who has the backdoor key to every operating system out there and the ability to use it with impunity. And then it came to us. All at once, the three of us realized we have a key of our own. Why not use it to reel in those same rubes the opposition is running their con game on? Let them know we're here with something so complex they can't resist. The opposition will be thinking they've hit pay dirt by finding someone to locate fresh new puppets for them, without a clue that we're the ones pulling the strings. We'll lay that trail of breadcrumbs leading right to us by attracting them with bait of our own. Once we've hooked them, how hard can it be to find out where they are on the psychic spectrum and how it's affecting their lives? And maybe, just maybe, we can learn what the opposition has planned for them and help intervene in some thoroughly confusing, emotionally complex way. As old Charlene out in Fitchburg used to say, reverse the curse. What we needed was just the right dog whistle. And I think I know where we can find one.